Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I am Joe Stark and tonight I am talking with Ty Purvis. How you doing, Ty? How you doing, Joe? <laughs> Still good. And, uh, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so, so the reason we're kind of giggling here is because um, you just missed the first five minutes <laughs> of this recording <laughs> due to technical difficulties. So we're starting over. <laughs> and uh, so um, <laughs> we're talking about how uh, Ty had been in Boy Scouts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I Ooh, can drop this segment there. back into that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were just talking about how I got my Eagle Scout. Yeah, you know, one of four Scouts get it. You know, and it's funny, like, living out here in Utah now, too, because, uh, of course, I'm about 90% of my body, I'm covered in tattoos. And so when people see me and, you know, they look at me funny up here in, you know, uh, Utah, they're like, you know, you know, no one up here, so they're all modest, not like barely any tattoos at all. And so when I get to talk to somebody, you know, what you call it, and then, uh, you know, I explain to them, yeah, I'm an Eagle Scout, you know, I got it back when I was, you know, 18, blah, blah, blah. And they just gonna be like, you were an Eagle? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, just because I'm, just because I look like a hoodlum doesn't mean I am one. That's really funny how people pass judgment like that. Yeah. Um, and it's weird out here too, because like, of course, living out in Utah, you get the LDS church, which is, you know, super big. And so like their big whole thing is scouting. And so like the kids out here that I've like, you know, people I've talked to that are into it and stuff like that, they're like, yeah, these kids out here get their ego at like 13. And I'm like, what? What kind of experience? Yeah. 13 or 13 is like when you can, when you can get it. And like, as soon as like, it's weird because back home, I guess it's just because we didn't have that many people that were into scouting, so it took us a little bit longer. But like out here, you're just like fast tracked into getting your eagle like quick as possible. Wow, that is so which weird. Is, yeah, which is really really weird. Like you get 13 to 14 year olds walking around with eagle scout like their eagle scout badge, and I'm just like, that is that is ridiculous. It's like you don't have the experience. Yeah. Like I wouldn't trust you being an eagle scout to save my <laughs> life whatsoever. <laughs> Oh man, I, I remember I did Cub Scouts and then kind of dropped out for a little bit or, you know, I was from a really small town, so I don't know if maybe there wasn't enough interest in it, so it went away or however it happened. I wasn't in it for a little while. And then I went back in as a Boy Scout and I don't even know if I made it through the first, cause what is it? Like Tenderfoot is the first one? You got Tenderfoot, then you got, uh, you got Tenderfoot. You got second class, first class, star, life, eagle. Yeah. Yeah. I, and so. I, I didn't get along with the scoutmasters. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, like, I didn't really have any respect for them either. And so I guess I wasn't even following, you know, like, that scout is respectful. Like, yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, no. Like, our troop. Like, because, of course, I went with a troop that was uh, LDS back home as well because my mother. And, uh, like, our troop, when they came, we came to uh, scout camp. Like, they put us off on, like, the back side of the camp, far away from everybody, because we were bad little kids. Like, <laughs> we would go and try to sneak into the staff area and, like, cut their power because they were in there with, like, air conditioning and, like, TVs and Xboxes and stuff. While we're sitting out in, like, military tents on cots, yeah. you know, sweating our balls off at night. And, you know, we're just like, this is screwy. So we went there. We tried to screw with anything that we could that we knew we wouldn't get kicked out of camp for. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I did not like those people telling me what to do. And 
I've always like I'm really horrible at being told what to do if I don't respect the person that's giving me the direction. Oh yeah. And, and so yeah, I, I think that's why scouts didn't really fail for me. That and I I was like constantly getting in fights with this one dude who was like the assistant scoutmaster's son. And yeah. So they basically got yeah. to the point where they said, you know, hey and I, I remember he said that this is your prerogative and I'm like, What are you fucking Bobby Brown? Fucking <laughs> 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 says prerogative in middle school. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> he said that no, yeah. they basically said, you know, we, we can't kick you out, but like, we, you don't even want to be here, so you should just quit. And so I pretty much just quit. Cause I was like, hey, you're right. I was like, your, your yeah. scout camp totally sucked. Those canvas tents and with the cots in them, and it was just, yeah. there was like a million daddy long legs in there. And it was like, oh yeah, this is going to be great to sleep in. <laughs> yeah, it was always fun. Like the end of the camp when I was working, when I, you know, ended up working with, uh, for the camp is like going out there at the end of the, like the Mississippi summer, you know, it's like mid July, we're all breaking down. Yeah. You just go up there, find like an East Timber, uh, uh, rattlesnakes and up, up, up under one of the, like the platforms that we set the tents on. So the kids yeah. didn't get flooded in case it rained. Uh-huh. Yeah. You come across at least two or three snakes up under those things. So we're like, Oh, that's uh-huh. great. Some kid was sleeping here, you know, three nights ago. Yeah. And was that in Utah? No, no, no. That was in Mississippi. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you guys get rattlesnakes yeah. down there too. Yeah. I've yeah, never we actually get... seen them here in Iowa, but I've heard we get them. Yeah, in Mississippi, that's where I learned. Like, oh man, I'm not like I'm not afraid of snakes at all. Like, and I, you know, we'll post different things on Facebook. You know, it's like, hey, let's don't kill snakes because they're good for our environment. Like, I love snakes. Yeah. When they're non-venomous. Yeah. But <laughs> I know. Know how to pretty much identify them from just you know, running through backwoods Mississippi and stuff like that and living out in the country most of my life and just be like, yeah, if you just take two or three steps back and just calmly back up, you can get out of there. Because the thing is, nine times out of ten, we're scared of you. Yeah, that's usually the case. Yeah. That's why, like, so, anybody like ever, yeah. I was going to say, anybody who's ever picked up a garter snake and, like, then their hands immediately smell awful, that's that snake yeah. being scared and releasing that through its skin. That's, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. The fun ones were the, like we, uh, back in Mississippi, you had like king snake, which is like black and has all these like little, kind of looks like nighttime because it has all these little white speckled spots on it. And, uh, we used to like, as soon as we'd catch those, we'd go release them like by the house because like those are the snakes that will go out and like they eat, uh, like other venomous snakes. They're not venomous, but they eat venomous snakes. So like if you caught them, you bring them back to the house and just let them off in the woods beside you. So therefore, you know, at least you're setting up, I guess, your little perimeter, have your little soldier out there taking care of the snakes for you. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. That's awesome. Um, so there's a like a nature place that's kind of close to where I live, and uh, they've got a, a building there that's um, got all these different things that set up, kind of showing you what Iowa was like, you know, the history of it and that sort of stuff. And they have people come in there every once in a while with different uh, animals and whatnot. And a while back, a guy went in there with a 10-foot python. And so my wife and I took the kids in to go see it. And go, going into the room, I was like, no way. Like, I, I'm just going to watch this thing. I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to touch it. And we were there for like 90 minutes. And like within the first half hour, like I'm not on the floor playing with this thing, letting it crawl all over me. Like wrapped itself around my neck. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and no, like, pythons. Dude, it flexed pythons just hard cool enough. Like I felt my eyes start to bulge out, and I like said to the guy, "I'm like, yeah, get him off." <laughs> <laughs> and 
and then I just didn't let him go around my neck again. But it was awesome, man. It was not something I would have ever imagined doing, but it was really, really cool. Yeah, when I was uh, when I grew up, my stepdad had a, a, a stepdaughter, uh, my stepsister, whatever. She had an eight foot ball python that she had kept that her mother let her have, and they we kept it in this like big like thirty gallon like aquarium tank in the house. And the only thing that kept it in there was like this big piece of long plywood. Well, lo and behold, like I guess because they had a, uh, a heat pad that went inside to the aquarium to keep the tank warm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would push its way. They'd always try to think, you know, there's enough weight on the board, to keep it down, but somehow it would always escape and <laughs> get out and just roam through the house. And it, we always knew like by the time, you know, it was about time to feed it again. That's when it would always come out of where it was hiding from. And usually we learned that it was either a, like in like under the beds or in between the mattresses. Cause it was super warm in there for it. <laughs> but yeah, like, like you were saying, like you'd pick it up and that thing would like wrap around your arm or like wrap around your leg. And you're just like, okay, can somebody help me? You know, I'd call my stepdad Dwayne and be like, you need, you need to put it back in this cage now. <laughs> Didn't it feel kind of like a weird massage? In a sense, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, the, the guy whose uh, python it was, he was like, oh yeah, he goes, this, his name was Muckluck. He's like, Muckluck just roams around my house. He's like, he loves oh, it goodness. when we all sit on the sofa because he just crawls up behind there and just lays across the back of our shoulders. I'm like, wow. Yeah. He's like, she just wants to be, he's like, she just wants to be warm. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, has it ever bit you before? And he was like, oh, no, it's, uh, he goes, well, one time he was like kind of mishandling the way he was, like, he was like kind of starting to feed her. And then something happened where he was like, got distracted. And so he's just kind of holding this mouse and dangling it around and then it like nipped at him. Yeah. And he was like, but that, he goes, that was more my fault. He goes, I've never seen her, you know, ever nip at anybody else or anything. So I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why yeah. not let the snake wrap itself around me? <laughs> yeah. The one we had, his name was Nebo. And we always, when it was feeding time, we just put him in the cage and we just dumped the mice in there and just let them run for their lives as long as they could. <laughs> it just made me think of that end of uh, road trip. <laughs> Tom Green <laughs> yelling really unleash the fury. <laughs> yeah, I've never actually seen one eat. That'd probably be a trip. Oh yeah, you can look it up on YouTube. While watching a snake eat, like and just sit there and like stalk its prey is one of the coolest things you'll ever watch. <laughs> yeah, nature's vicious like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, so my girlfriend, she always gets on to me, she's like are we watching National Geographic again? And I'm like, yeah, baby, Shark Week. And then all of a sudden, like on Netflix and stuff, you can go on there and just, you know, look up and watch all the shows all together now. And I'm just like, yeah, that's all we watch. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of what my wife and I watch is just like nature documentaries and yeah. documentaries about the universe and like the geology of the planet and stuff. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And man, in, in Utah, you get to see a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, because it's Utah. Is, yeah, Utah is super cool because, like, this time of year, uh, with it being you know July, you stay out of the south, which is of course where the desert and stuff is. You, everybody goes up north to the Tetons to Yellowstone and stuff because it's a lot. The weather's a lot cooler. You know, the, the it's not as hot and stuff up there. And then when winter time comes, that's when everybody floods back down south to like Moab and uh, the San Rafael Swell and everything that's down there. And like, uh, you know, Zion's Park and stuff like that, the big national parks that we have here and go there because, of course, it's not as hot anymore. And, it, you know, you can go there and camp a few nights. 
it'll get down to maybe 40 degrees. But, man, if you get a good sleeping bag and a firewood, you'll stay warm all night and not have a problem. That's awesome. Yeah, I've seen a lot of those places like in different climbing videos because there's so many awesome climbing destinations in Utah. But yeah. I, I've never been that far west. I've, I've never been further west than Colorado. Yeah, see, until and when I was living in Mississippi, until I moved to Mississippi out here back in uh, 2013, I'd never really have been this far west, you know, for a majority bigger time of like a few days. Like we flew out here to uh, come out here and come see my aunt for like a weekend. And that was it. Didn't really get to do anything besides, you know, piddle around Salt Lake, you know, and see like uh, space cheeses and stuff that we have here. And, you know, Salt Lake City Disneyland and then go back and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much the like the trips to Colorado for me. Um, I think I went there for three days. When uh, my sister played volleyball at like a really high level all through high school and uh, college. Yeah. And so one of the times that they were in nationals was in Colorado Springs. And so I, I tagged along to, to watch her play and then also to, uh, to see the mountains because that was the first time in my life I'd ever seen mountains. Oh, yeah. Man, Colorado that's... Springs got some pretty ones. Yeah. Yeah. When we went and hiked around Garden of the Gods and, and then when uh, my wife and I got married, that's where we went for our honeymoon. And so we did lots of hiking and Garden of the Gods and went up to Pikes Peak. There's a little cog rail, rail uh, train that goes up to the top yeah. of the mountain. So that was kind of interesting. But we picked the wrong side. We got a bunch of pictures of backs of old people's heads as they're looking out the good windows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to have the experience. Oh, yeah. Pikes Peak is really, really cool. So that's why, like, when we go up here, like, we don't even mess with Colorado anymore. And we just go straight up to, like, Montana and Wyoming and go up to uh, the Tetons up here and go up there to, like, the different lakes. Like, there's a good lake up in Idaho that we like to go camp at called Bloomington Lake, which is, like, right on the other side of the Utah border. So we just camp on some BLM land that's in Utah and then just drive to the lake for the day and go swimming you know, do whatever, go buy us, you know, good Idaho beer because, you know, Mississippi beer, that Mississippi, Utah beer is, you know, it's like basically water. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we take like two vehicles up there so we can bring all the beer we want back and then, you know, one, you know, vehicle for supplies. So, you know, with, you know, with, when you brought up the weak beer in Utah, that's pretty much just because of the Mormons, right? Oh yeah, totally because of the Mormons. There's no way around it. There's, they'll say, oh well, you know, the church, whatever, but the church is so big here with the legislation and stuff. I mean, they're, we're trying to pass, you know, different laws here to get it the full strength, I guess you could say. But really, like, the only beer that's really 3.2% that's here is the ones you get on draft. I mean, you can get all the beer and like, you know, Budweiser and bottles, all that stuff. It's the same thing. You can get anywhere across the nation. It's just our draft beer that's uh, at 3.2 percent. But we can get we can get high point beers, but we have to buy them from the the state run liquor stores, yeah. which is what we're trying to get rid of. Also, we're trying to you know they say hey the state doesn't need to control the ABC. The ABC needs to be its own entity to where you know like say if I wanted to go open up my own liquor store, I could. But, of course, like now with the laws in Utah, you can't because it's all state-ran. It's all states, uh, you know, monitored and everything. And they just had an audit to where they found out the state was, like, missing a whole lot much, like a whole lot of stock that they should have had and they didn't have. And so that's one thing we're looking at. Like, hey, 
you know, private citizens can moderate, moderate uh, what's it called? Uh, can look after their own and probably get this a lot better than, you know, Mormons who never had beer in their life. You know what they're doing, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so, and you know, it, it, anytime something is government run, it's just automatically, it's not going to be run the most efficiently because oh, yeah. by its very nature, it doesn't have to run efficiently. Whereas if you're operating a private business, you know, you're going to want it to run as efficiently as possible. Yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense, but um, I, I've done a lot of climbing, or not a lot. I've done a handful, a little bit of climbing in Kentucky at the Red River Gorge, and that was one of the first places I went to where there was like weird alcohol laws, county to county. Yeah, because being out there in Kentucky, like Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, all those, like you have those certain counties that they call dry counties to where, yeah, that's what they you know, there's no liquor stores, you know, nothing. You can buy beer at the gas station, but you had to go over to the next county to go to the liquor store, get your stuff, come back. And then, you know, you had your weird rules that were like, okay, well, on Sunday, you can't buy alcohol from like 6 a.m. to 12 p.m. Cause you know, that's the time you're supposed to be in church worshiping the Lord and you ain't supposed to be out drinking. So, yeah. And, uh, so you got weird laws like that. I mean, it's, you get out there to the south in the Bible Belt, like the laws are totally a lot different. And people make fun of me, you know, of course, like I said, being out here in Utah, and like I have a bunch of friends still back home in Mississippi. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, you know, you got 3.2. But I'm like, yeah, it's like, we don't have dry counties. We can buy beer. And if you want liquor on a Sunday, be smart about it and buy it on Saturday. <laughs> exactly. So um, <sighs> what led you to go from Mississippi to Utah? Well, uh, my little sister, who's a lot, 10 times smarter than I'll ever be, uh, she was working at the University of Utah out here as an ER uh, trauma nurse. And so her roommate at the time, of course, my little sister's Mormon, and her roommate at the time was Mormon as well, and she was from New Zealand. So she got her visa was expiring over here. So she was like, you know what? I'm not going to renew it. I'm just going to move back home to New Zealand. So I was talking to my sister. She's like, yeah, I need a roommate. And I was like, you know what? I was kind of at that little like point in my life to where I was like, you know what? I don't have anything else going on. I can quit my job. I can do the same job out there. That's what I'm doing. And so I packed up all my stuff in like a week's notice, quit my job. And I was like, hey, I'm going to Utah. And they were like, no, you're not. And I'm like, okay, see ya. And then <laughs> once I like started taking pictures of me like traveling across the like Texas and stuff, people were just like, you were serious. Like, you're not really going. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, I'm halfway there already. <laughs> Do you make it back to Mississippi much? Do you still got family there? I've only, yeah, my mother, my stepdad, and then, uh, my, uh, my father and stuff like that. They all still, like, uh, most of my family lives out there. The only family that I have out here, which I guess you could say technically is not really my family. Just, uh, what are my mom's friends that she grew up with? Like I consider my aunt, like I call them my aunt, my cousins, or whatever. Yeah, they live out here. But other than that, my complete family is all the way back down south now. Because my sister, like, she quit uh, the hospital up here and started doing travel nursing, taking uh, you know, thirteen week gigs at different hospitals around the U.S. And so she's like in Dallas now. And so, oh, wow. like, yeah, I'm up here by myself with no family at all, besides you know the ones who I consider my family. I guess you could say. Which yeah. honestly, I don't even talk to them really. Wow. So, <sighs> so you, so you did, you grew up Mormon then or? 
Well, was, yeah, my mom's side of the family is was all LDS. Like she was ra- born and raised LDS, and then uh, the man that she married was a convert to the church, and he ended up like dipping out and like. I haven't seen him since I was three. Don't even remember the guy. And so who I consider my father, you know, adopted me, had my little brother and little sister, and he was Southern Baptist. So, you know, Southern Baptists and Mormons being in the South didn't really, I don't know what they were, my parents were thinking at the time, (laughs) but they ended up getting a divorce. And so pretty much every other weekend it was a Mormon church, then it was a Southern Baptist church. So growing up every other weekend, it was back and forth and I guess you say all that jazz like that, going to the different churches and just seeing how, you know, one church will tell you one thing and then another church will tell you one thing. And then when you go to that, you go to, you know, church A, they want you to defend yourself against church B. And then when you go to church B, it's the same thing. You have to defend yourself for, you know, church A. So I got to the point where I was like, at the time of 18, I just dipped the hell out. I was like, I'm not going to either one of y'all. It's like, y'all are crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's that's kind of a bummer that that you know the the people around you in those churches would act like that. Oh yeah, and it's and I mean there's I'm not gonna say there's not there's not good people within religions and you know those religions at all. Like I met some, like soup made some super awesome friends. You know, there's great people on both sides of that. But just with me growing up like that and uh, just seeing both sides of that because you say that fence of saying hey you know our religion's right. You know, this is the only way you can get to heaven. And you have, you know, the other weekend to where somebody else is like, no, our religion's right. You know, this is what you got to do to get to heaven. It's like, like none of y'all, none of y'all, to me, like none of them knew. Like, it's just what they wanted to believe to help them, I guess you say, get throughout their day to be good people. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last episode I had, uh, uh, Jared Gafford on and he talked with, uh, you know, kind of about his journey into becoming born again Christian. And, and that was some, you know, that was, it was really cool. He had a lot of inspiring stuff to say about it. Yeah. And, and for the most part, that's, that's the same sort of experiences I had when, when I was going to the Catholic church, like everybody was really, really great. But the, the church from the hometown where I grew up, the one that I initially went to Sunday school and then kind of by the time I was in high school and then graduated, it was like that church had become like, a, a little bit more like weird <laughs> like yeah I, I don't i don't really know how to explain it it was just it seemed like they were just doing really over the top stuff yeah that, that definitely made me feel uncomfortable and like when i went to anything around there it was like very much mm-hmm. like i felt like people were looking at me like what, are, what why in the hell are you in here it's like wow this is not a welcoming atmosphere and so you know i know i know what both sides of that feels like yeah, and, and like ah, for them to do that to you when you were a kid, that's just that's so shit. Yeah, because I mean, I've I'll tell you right now, I've walked out of probably two or three Christmases, and this is back, you know, when I can drive. You know, I had a little more freedom where I didn't have to sit there, you know, just you know, take it because like me and my little brother, my little sister, you know, we're all three like, of course, uh, with on my mom's side and stuff like that. And so you know, every Christmas I have you know go to a family. My grandma on my dad's side had eight children. You imagine. I guess you could, we probably each one of those children had about two other children. So I had a lot of cousins like that. And so every Christmas or something like that, or, you know, if we had a holiday, it's like, Oh, I can't because I'm doing something with, you know, my youth group at the Mormon church or something like that. Or, 
you know, there'd be holidays to where I'd, we just, I'd just get berated with, you know, questions or why this, why do you believe this? Or are you going on a Mormon mission? Blah, blah, blah. And to where I got to where I was older, you know, if someone brought it up to me, I was like, I'm not going to sit here and listen to this shit. I was like, I'd tell my little brother and sister, if y'all want to leave, I'm going to leave. You know, I don't care if make grandma cry, but I'm out. I'm not going to sit here and let, you know, just people like talk down to me about, you know, what I might or might not believe about just because they think it's different or they don't think it's right, you know? So, yeah, yeah that, that's one of those dark places that, that sometimes religion goes and, you know, if you had yeah. to weigh out the positives and negatives, that'd be a big one on the negative side is when, yeah. when people start to act self-righteous because my biggest thing with religion is always, it's like, you know, you, you don't know that. You don't know that just because it says that in the Bible, in the Bible, it does not mean yeah. that, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know, but I'm a very skeptical person. <laughs> well, like, I'm not necessarily like, like, um, well, the one thing I was going to bring up was that, like, do you remember when they passed that, the same sex law across the country? And then there was that court clerk in Kentucky that was refusing because yeah. of the Bible. And she was on like her fourth marriage or something. Yeah. It's like you cherry picking makes, asshole. It's like, you're, you're not doing this out of faith. You're doing it because you don't like gay people and you're trying to stick it to them. Like, and I'm not going to believe yeah. anything else <laughs> that comes out yeah. of your mouth and- because you're a silly person. And when you're somebody that's like sitting on like you may be riding the fence and you see that because like me, it's like, I don't care what people do. And, and, and to me, as far as religion goes, I look at it as something that, you know, it, if it helps you get through the day, if you have to believe there's a higher power there that's, you know, making you be good and you have, it gives you a set of rules to follow and stuff like that. Awesome. If it helps you be a good person, as long as you're a good person, like everybody else, I don't care what you believe in, you know, just as long as you don't harm anybody else or, you know, you just worry about yourself, I guess you could say, you know, and if that makes you be a good person, awesome. But like that whole thing with that lady, I mean, it just, it's like, yeah, she's on her fourth marriage, which clearly in the Bible says you don't get divorced, but you're sitting here trying to, you know, impose your beliefs on somebody else, which to me is like totally wrong. So yeah, it's like people, totally yeah, people with religion, they can have all the beliefs in the world. Just, you know, that's, that's, that's for you. That's not for, you know, if somebody wants to believe the same thing you believe in, awesome. If they come to you and they want you to tell them more about it, great. But don't go around like – I don't do like missionaries and stuff like that. It's like if people want to know, they'll come to you and ask you about it. You don't have to go out and knock on doors every day and stand on the street corner and tell them everybody else how bad they are. You know, that's I don't see how that would bring anybody else closer to whatever God is you're trying to preach for. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I'm sure everybody's seen, you know, the pair of young guys that, you know, they're dressed like yeah. reservoir dogs without the jackets and they're yeah. running around on 10 speeds with backpacks on. Yep, and their little biker helmets and everything. Yeah, the missionaries. <laughs> I mean, it, and growing up, like, it was cool growing up, like, meeting those guys because, of course, like I said, my mom, she was, you know, like, the ladies had their thing in the church called Relief Society. And she always, and the, even though she didn't like, she couldn't like pick it because the church gives you callings. You don't get to, you know, pick, you know, what you want to do within the church. And, uh, but she was always happy when it was her turn to come around to like, you know, be like the, I guess you say like the mission mother to where like missionaries need anything. They were over at our house. You know, they, if we needed feeding, they'd come over and eat with us just about every night. And it was cool meeting the guys from like different parts of the country. And, you know, that we'd have those cool. wanted. 
we had one of the, we had, you know, one or two of those guys that would come from like Tonga or, you know, we had a, I think, uh, we had one from South America, one, not South America, uh, South Africa. We had one from Johannesburg one time. And then we just had, you know, one or two like from Canada, uh, Canada, stuff like that. I mean, it's all, it was fun in that sense, but like it got to a point to where like my mom got way too comfortable with them coming over to where she gave my key to the house. Yeah, we ended up showing up and they're like in there watching TV and playing Nintendo. And so after that, like, she was like, nope, I'm not getting in trouble. Y'all ain't getting in trouble. Y'all are supposed to be out, you know, doing your thing, not sitting in my house playing Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. We're saving souls today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, so, um,. Like, what were some of the? I mean, what were some of the big things that happened? Like, when you got to Utah, like, was it was it very different from what you expected, or was it? I mean, like, how big of a, a culture change was it going from you know Mississippi to Utah? Well, uh, well, I had it pretty easy because coming like from Mississippi to Utah, you know, um, getting up here and being you know, watching out for your grandma with a switch. If you didn't say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am, like come out here, people are like, you don't have to call me, ma'am. I'm not that old. And I'm like, Oh, you better believe I'm going to, because you never know when grandma's going to pop out and get you. Cause that's one thing out here. Like kids didn't have manners at all. Like you hold a door open for somebody out here and they look at you like you're trying like the spawn of Satan or something. Ugh. And it's like, how do you like not raise your children? with like the, the, just the simple manners of that, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am hold the door open when you're coming out of a building and stuff like that. And that was one thing. And then of course, uh, being out here and of course everything is 90% the church. And so everything you do, everything's regulated by the church pretty much through the government, even though people would say, Oh no, you know, it's not. But when you have, you know, Mormon legislators, they're going to follow their morals and they're going to go by what they've been taught. And so that's where a lot of our laws are kind of, you just silly, like they just uh, voted to bring the BAC law down from 0.008, which it is across the country, down to 0.005, oh, which is like if you're gonna do if you're gonna do that, just just go ahead and make it zero. I mean, you shouldn't be drinking and driving in the first place. Yeah. But you know, somebody that wants to go out, eat a nice dinner, have a glass of wine, they can't even do that. Heck, if you get up in the morning and drink a you know swish around with some mouthwash, you're gonna register over 0.05. You, yeah, that's really, you know, it's just, though. and they, they pass laws like that because it's, you know, their morals from, you know, the church like that. And like I said, they'll deny it's like, Oh, it's not the church. Yeah. We know it's the church, but, uh, but nothing really is like, I guess you could say nothing really is like too cultural shockish. Being there, I think I was, I was more of a shock for them because, uh, when I first came out here and it's gone down a little bit, like, uh, my southern draw and my accent, so that was really, really thick. And so people were like, "Oh, just, just sit and talk. We want to listen to you." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> you don't." <laughs> and it's like I got my nickname pretty quickly because I started barbacking and working at a bar up here, which was what I was doing in Mississippi before I came out here. And they learned really quickly, like, you know, if I get pretty sloshed or whatever, like they couldn't understand a word I was saying. It's like I was speaking gibberish, and that's why they started calling me Boomhauer. Because if you ever watch King of the Hill, that's pretty much. Like, I never got into that one. 
Yeah, if I get if I get pretty uh get a couple of beers in me, that's how I start sounding. My like accent gets super super thick, and it we're just I can understand what I'm saying, but it just draws out so much. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah you just Google them. You'll you'll learn real quickly. Say, so is that the dude with like the glasses where you can't really see his eyes, and when he talks, you really can't understand? No, no, no. That's the guy. Yeah, the guy that has the uh, like the blonde hair, but he always like he doesn't really. Uh, all his words like run together and he speaks really, really fast. <laughs> and so like, funny. you can't understand a word he's saying, except like one or two words at the very end of what he's, you know, speaking about. Yeah. That, that's so weird how people trip out about accents. <laughs> oh yeah. They, uh, uh, when I had Dan West on here, he was talking about people doing that to him, <laughs> like not being able to understand <laughs> him and shit. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about it is like, we have a, we have a Scottish guy that comes around the bar and every time like he gets drunk and I'm like, uh, back when I was working and stuff, still there. Cause I only pop in there every now and again, uh, on the weekends. And, uh, like every time he's in there getting drunk, you're like, yeah, just go talk to him and figure out what he wants because no one can understand a word he's saying. <laughs> and I'm like, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> well, Have you seen that video of the Scottish guy that can't say purple burglar alarm? Uh, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> the guy's pretty wasted, and everybody around him's laughing that he can't say. It. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure there's been some nights. I've probably there's probably a video of me out there somewhere, probably doing the same thing. <laughs> that's that's one thing that I have never gotten like super drunk like that. Like I've gotten drunk to the point where I've thrown up like a handful of times, but like, yeah. I've never gotten like. Slur words unintelligibly drunk. <laughs> yeah, and that's what that's what's bad because like before I moved out to Utah, I bartended because uh, as soon as I turned eighteen, of course my mom found out I wasn't going on a like Mormon mission. Big fight, I got kicked out of the house, didn't look back, and started living with one of my buddies that I met through the scout camp that I worked at during the summers when I was younger. And uh, one of the, the bar that we started going to, you know, they got us. Uh, you know, they had a opening for a bar back, so like that. So I started doing that probably two years later, I started bartending. So that's what I did every, like every night for almost like nine, eight, nine years. And, uh, of course we sit up there, go in at work at 4 PM, get off work at 2 AM. And then we sit up there and drink till another two hours after work. And so I got the, the tolerance built up, but ever since I came out here to Utah, it's gone down like tenfold. I went home probably a year and a half ago. Or a little, probably a little longer than that, went home and I couldn't hang with anybody down there. And I was just <laughs> like, like Utah's got me. It's like, I can't do anything. I can't hang with y'all kids no more. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I've got such a low tolerance for alcohol. Like, I've gotten like, man, probably like dizzy buzzed off drinking like three beers before. Yeah. And this was funny. Five point somethings, you know. <laughs> you know, I've, we've made a bunch of good friends. I've had friends from Mississippi come out here, and I'm like, just prepare yourself. It's like, because this is a different, you know, it's a different beast out here because uh, the liquor and everything out here is, of course, the same as it is wherever else. But that's what, it's pretty much what everybody drinks, you know, because the beer's watered down, I guess you could say. And so, you know, people will take a lot more shots. Liquor out here is 10 times cheaper than back home in Mississippi because, like, just to give you an example, like uh, the bar that I work at, that I do karaoke at, uh, you could buy a shot of wild turkey for $3.50. Well, back home in Mississippi, you're paying 6 to $8, depending on where the bar you're at. 
Oh, wow. So basically everybody out here, you know, uh, you come out here their first time and they're like, oh, yeah, only $3.50. Line them up. Let's do them. And I'm like, hey, man, it's like just because it's cheaper doesn't mean it doesn't have that kick. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and so, but yeah, it, and of course, the, the big thing out here is that, you know, you get people from out of state that come up here and come visit and it's all elevation. The elevation gets them every time. What and even we got, uh, I'll tell you right now. I know, I know there's, I can drive 30 minutes and be at 9,000, uh, 9,000 feet. Oh, sweet. Yeah. It gets super high. Like right now I'm at 4,300 feet. Wow. And so, uh, I think I'm where, less like than where we live and I live. Yeah. It's, uh, it gets pretty gnarly out here. Like we can get, we can go, I can drive like from here to one of my good fishing spots and it's about 45 minutes away, but it's just pretty much straight up into the Uinta mountains that we have up here. And we go from, like I said, just, you know, 4,300 to right about 8,800 to a uh, 9,000 feet elevation. Wow, that would be awesome. Oh yeah, there's there's the like I said, that's Utah for you. I mean, it's the this you've got so much different range of scenery out here, and that's one thing coming from Mississippi out to Utah is that back home and down south everything is green, everything is like you know thick kind of forest or whatever out uh, back home. But you get out here. And if you want green, you have to go up in the mountains because down in Salt Lake and the Salt Lake Valley, everything is like brown because it's just, you know, from this side of the mountains, what we call the Wasatch, you know, going towards Nevada, all you got is desert. And so until you get to the, like the Sierras over there, about, you know, where Reno, where, you know, Sturdy's at and everything, and it's just brown and desert. And that's the only thing I like, you know, miss about home is just everything. You'd be able to walk outside and you got, you know, green grass and, you know, thick green forests and stuff everywhere. Yeah, that's one thing. Like, I have a love-hate relationship with Iowa in the summer because I'm I'm not a fan of the the high heat, high humidity, and it's it's hard to get out into the woods this time of year because like anywhere down low, there's just gonna be really high stinging nettles that will just really light you up anywhere you have exposed skin. So that means. You know, it's going to be like 100 degrees out with high humidity index, and you're hiking in long sleeves and pants. It's it's not fun, but but it all the green is beautiful. Yeah, that's what, like in Utah, too. I mean, it, it's good. So I think, of course, I've been in L.A. the past week for soccer, and uh, down there, the whole time we were down there, it was like 72 to about 80, depending on what day it was. But up here, they were in the hundreds, and I was like, I'm so glad I wasn't up there because being – when Mississippi, I grew up in like super hot, very high humidity, you know, kind of heat to where you come out here to Utah and it's like that desert heat to where it's super dry. You know, you're putting on lotion and, you know, chapstick every two minutes where it dries you out so bad. It's just super nasty heat out here. Like, I, it's like I want to find that space in America to where it's not too humid, but not too, also not too hot. <laughs> yeah. And at that like, nice that would, elevation. That would be the spot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or not elevation, but the, uh, the the longitude or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know where it's like okay, because like the winters here in Iowa are brutal cold, and then the summers are brutal hot, and so it's like we go from one extreme to another. Yeah, and yeah. see, that's what Utah is the same as Utah is the same way. I mean, I had to 
Like I think this is this past winter was probably the worst winter I've ever experienced in my life as far as you know because Utah got a crap ton of snow. I mean every other day it was snowing on us here, and uh, just it got down like it gets. Like, I think y'all get a little bit cold because y'all get down into like the negatives for a good period of time. Do you not? Oh yeah, yeah. See, we'll have like we'll have days to where you know we may get you know it'll be negative three, and then you know temperature will rise just a little bit. You know, we I haven't really dealt with anything below like negative ten at all. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like standard fare for Iowa in winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that might be just a little bit too cold for me. <laughs> oh gosh, man, I've seen it get so cold, and then have it be like a clear blue sky, but there's like a full like ring around the sun and then like yeah. little, you know like little sun dogs off to the sides and like usually you'll see it so it's just you know one on either side of the sun but man it's i've seen it get cold enough here to where it makes a complete circle around it oh. and oh man it's got to be really cold <laughs> for that to happen it's like there's like really fine like ice particles floating in the air and they're like low altitude whereas they're usually just pretty high up because that's where it gets really cold yeah I don't know, that's the way it was explained to me anyway, but man, it is, I don't know, I love Iowa though, I really do, as much as I bitch about certain things, like the way that the fields look in the wintertime, when they're mm-hmm. drifted over with snow, and you can, especially when you get up in the northeast part of the state with all the rolling hills, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I think the, the coldest we got out here this year that I guess you could say probably about froze my toes off is that we went to a uh, ice fishing tournament up in the mountains, up in the Uintas, and uh it's at about like 87, 8,600 feet in the air. Uh, and the lake's like completely froze over, you know, two or three feet of ice. So we're having to, you know, take turns drilling our holes and stuff for us. But then like halfway through our tournament, like all of a sudden with it being so high up, like in the, the canyon this lake is in, we were just getting like 40, 50 mile hour wind gusts to where they called the tournament off. They were like, it's getting too dangerous for y'all to be out there. And then that's the first time I've ever had like ice and snow, like, form up on my beard and i was just like yeah let's get out of here so we just went back to the cabin and started drinking oh man i've finished like five six mile runs before in winter and had icicles hanging off my stocking cap oh no sir (laughs) it's not fun (laughs) yeah man yeah i couldn't imagine that that cold is something else but if you had to choose between dealing with one or the other, would you rather deal with extreme heat or extreme cold? Extreme heat. Because it costs less to run your air conditioning than it does to have your gas heater going. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I've never heard it say that way. Usually people start talking about layers. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that, wait, that is sense. true. But, I mean, for me, I wear less layers as possible. I, like, I wear, like, wear sandals all during summer. That's one thing about my job. Like I'm drive, drive a, a lot, and as I talk to my boss like two or three times, I try to talk him into letting us wear like sandals and stuff. But of course, I'm dealing with thousand pound caskets to where it's like, nah, oh. if, like if something dropped on your foot, you can't. <laughs> sandals not gonna help you out. <laughs> yeah, I I deal with boxes of fasteners for my job, and they they come anywhere from like thirty five to seventy pounds, and so I'm required to wear steel toed shoes. Yeah, we don't have to wear steel toes, but we have to wear like. Just good, like, shoes that wouldn't tear up. And, uh, I guess you could say we just now got allowed to wear shorts and stuff. And so, oh, which is nice. really nice. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, there's a couple places that I go to 
for my job where they won't let me come in there and do my job unless I'm wearing pants. And so it's like, yeah. on those days, it's like, I'll just bring a backpack with me. <laughs> and that's just what I'll Yep. Before I go in there, I'll put pants on. And then when I'm done there, I'll change back into shorts for the rest of my day. It's like, man, why am I going to have 45 minutes of my day determined, you know, that I'm just going to be sweating profusely the entire rest of the day? Exactly. And that's like, luckily for me, like with the job I do, like doing caskets and stuff for funeral homes, is that I don't have to deal with anybody except like, you know, one of the funeral directors. You know, I go in like the back door, the back garage, unload the caskets for them, and I'm out of there. Half the time, I don't even see anybody. You know, I just go in, do my job, and get out. Not deal with, you know, don't see the family at all, don't see anybody. So that's the good thing about us. Like he was finally like, you know, yeah, yeah, I can wear shorts. Like funeral directors don't mind, so like that. They know it's hot outside, and they're no, you know, as long as their casket gets there, no dents, the way they wanted it, they're fine. Yeah. And um. Yeah. So one of the things I do for my job a lot then also is I get a lot of driving in as well. And, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so what is your biggest pet peeve kind of being a road warrior for your job? Uh, like how big's the truck you drive? Well, I drive, I got, we got two trucks or two van. I got a van and a truck we drive though. We drive a small box truck, a little, uh, Isuzu, like NPR truck that, that we can load the flat front. Yeah. With like straight up flat front. Yeah, uh, yeah, we drive I, one, I of one of those years ago. And then we have Chevy like express vans, like mailer vans that we drive as well. Mm-hmm. And so like in the vans, we can fit five full size caskets in there. And then in our NPR trucks, we can fit 10 in there. Well, 12, if you maneuver it just right, you can lay them on their side and they can, uh, you can squeeze a few more in there. And, uh, but yeah, like my biggest pet peeve is like being on the road is like, you, and especially out here because you're going to get the heels and stuff. It's just like when you're, you have the trucks and a lot of Utah roads now to where if it's a steep incline, they'll break it off into three lanes to where the trucks are supposed to move all the way over. Like the 18 wheeler are supposed to move over. Yeah. Cause you know, they're not, they slow climb up it, you know, cause they can't go fast at the hills. But then you get, the, you know, that one new guy that's like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to pedal to the metal. And you're just like, dude, you're blocking out like three lanes of traffic right now because you're supposed to be over in the other lane, but here you are in our lanes. Like, move over <laughs> i hate that shit and it's, and this and especially during summertime out here too you get all the people out here all the grandma and grandpas with their you know rvs that are just you know oh i'm retired so i can take the summer off and go to all the national parks and everything and they just slow put down the road and you're just like again either get out of the fast lane and move over or just you know pull over let traffic pass you because you're holding up you know people behind you yeah one of the things that I notice and drives me the most amount of crazy when I'm driving, I have a, I drive a F550, like a 16 foot flatbed. So it's a pretty big truck. Yeah. And people just, it's like it casts a spell on people that as soon as they're behind me, they can't be behind me. And so it's like they do everything they can to pass me and get in front of me, even if it means that they're not necessarily going to go fast enough to be ahead of me. And so I get people oh. like playing leapfrog with me constantly where they'll pass oh, yeah. me like I'm standing still and then they'll get ahead of me and then they'll slow down. Like I'll even see them hit their brakes. And it's like, I don't know if you're trying to train me to go slower, but I'm an adult and I'm using cruise control. 
So yeah. I don't know what the hell stupid game you're playing, but oh, it's it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like some like being on the open road, especially like I don't know like how long y'all drive, because some most of some of our runs where I have to go like all the way up through like Idaho or you know go all the way out into Nevada and stuff. And I'm on the road for like six hours, and all I want to do is get out there, you know, drop the load and get back as soon as possible. And then when you have people like that, which you know, sometimes it could cause you another extra like 30 minutes to an hour for them just, you know, being, you know, necessarily reckless, but just, you know, just pay attention, put your phone down, you know, pay attention to the road and, you know, get going. It's like you're doing 55 and a 70, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is, and then, yeah, like, like you said, put your phone down. Like, how many times do you see people texting and driving? Or just oh, dicking oh. with their phone while they're driving. You know, because you're, you're, the a, you're, you're just on the road. You're on the road all day. It's part of your job. Yeah. And then if you're driving a big vehicle and people are impatient and they need to get around you, you know, people go by, you glance over. It seems like every other person is staring at their phone when they drive past me something. Exactly. It drives me nuts. Yeah, dude, I've gotten to just about to where I can be rolling down the interstate, you know, come up on a slow car, and I could probably about – Seven out of ten times, I can probably tell you what they're doing inside their car to make to make to make them be going as slow as they are. And it's about five of those times is being on the cell phone. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And like Utah, like <laughs> you know, they got all the laws to where it's saying, hey, you know, you can get a ticket if we catch you on your phone, blah blah. blah. But it's like, no, you don't never hear about anybody getting pulled over for that. It's like the seatbelt ticket, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be really stupid to get caught. Yeah. That, but I don't know. You do travel a lot of distance. I mean, if you figure yeah. you're looking down at your phone for, you know, 10 seconds, I mean, holy shit, man, you just traveled a long distance. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what, that's what was cool about you have you talking to the the kid. I forgot what his name was. That was, you know, hiking across the U.S. Oh, Skyler. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I was in Idaho like and he had just passed he was talking about where he had just came through like maybe a day before I did so I missed him he was a little bit farther up than what I had to go to that day cuz I had to come like two towns below from where I guess he was when he recorded for you uh-huh. and I was just like yeah I was like that's how cool it was I was like I understand like I know exactly where he is like what like you know where he's going through and the stuff he's talking about which I thought was really really cool that's awesome <laughs> what a small world, right? Yeah. Imagine if you'd have been able to just roll it behind and just like take a guess. Be like, okay, this is yeah. a dude pushing a jogging stroller with all his worldly possessions on it. Yeah. Like, hey, are you Skyler? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know. He'd probably be a lot more freaked out than I would. <laughs> I don't know. He seemed pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't seem like too much had rattled him. Yeah. And that's what I was surprised with. He was saying like he got a little trouble coming like, dude, you talk because like, the Mormons up here, if they see anybody like that, and as far as, uh, you know, like somebody that actually is like, they're not a bum, you know, when somebody puts out they're not a bum, mm-hmm. Mormons out here are usually like, are a whole lot cooler, you know, if they said, hey, you know, I'm traveling across the US, they'd be like, oh yeah, you want a couch to sleep on? You want food? You know, what, you want us to drive you somewhere? And like some of those small, like, Idaho towns that he talked about that he was going through, and I was like, they're still Mormon up there, but those are like, government like they don't like the government they like to you know 
keep their business to themselves, you know, like Ruby Ridge type folks up there <laughs> for some of the towns he went through up there, which is, you know, the hospitality that he got was kind of surprising because I rolled through there, like I said, and I just, I don't talk to anybody and just going to do my business because all eyes are like, yeah, are you supposed to be here? And I'm like, just scrolling through, getting gas. That's all I got, bud. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if they look at you with all your tats. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, speaking of, like, like I was saying about the Mormons being so helpful, and that's one reason, like, here in Salt Lake, is like, we got a huge, huge, like, homeless problem. And like, people like, though, like, Vegas, like, we'll send, like, Greyhound buses full of homeless people up here because they didn't know the Mormons will take care of them. Oh, that, which, that's which, sneaky. Yeah, because the church up here, you know, they have, like, welfare district. Like, the church has their own welfare for their members. And, like, they have their own welfare distribution centers and stuff. And, you know, they'll go out and give out, you know, bottled waters and stuff. Like, during the summer, they'll give out blankets and stuff during the winter and try to take in as many, you know, stuff as they can and kind of help these people get off their feet. But nine times out of ten, you know, there's people that are coming from, like, out of state, like Nevada or Colorado or, you know, Idaho, like that, to where they don't want no help. They just want their heroin, and that's it. Because Utah has a really big like heroin and opioid problem. Wow, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, a lot of it is, and and uh, they just started fighting to where like you know making the cops have that Nyxlon on them, the basically the, the reviver pin sticker or whatever it is that you know if somebody overdosed, they can pop them with it, bring them back really quickly. Ah, I like just got like it now. To, fiction. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> just got it now to where you know a lot of the cops are required to carry at least one of those on them at all times. But I mean, it's just like during the winter time, and it's basically a lot of the weather too is like that because the winter you don't see any sun; it gets dark and gloomy. So you have somebody with depression and stuff like that. It gets you know they have any kind of like little like drug problem. First off, it's like pills, you know, to deal with their depression. Then they move on to something else, and next thing you know, they're hooked on heroin, and then it's all over from there. Man, the the opioid problem in this country is crazy. Yeah, and Utah's problem has a lot to do with their lawmakers because there's a lot of Utah lawmakers that are in the pockets of those opioid con- uh, those opioid uh, companies and stuff that are mass producing it. Well, yeah, like they got marijuana as like a Schedule One drug, but it's totally legal for people to you know, have these pills that they can freaking OD on and die in their medicine cabinet. Exactly. People get super addicted to, and it totally fucks them up to the point where they go and start going to family members' houses and rifling through their medicine cabinets and shit. Exactly. And that's one of the big things here in Utah. And of course, you know, Utah, they're, they got a group that's fighting for, you know, not necessarily legalized marijuana. They just want it to be medical you know, to release it medical, let folks have it that need it. But the thing about it is, is like, like I said, the legislative folks here that are in the pockets of the opioid companies are not allowing that to happen because they're going to lose their money. You know, you got Nevada that come uh, August 1st, I think they said it was. Nevada's about to uh, fully legalize it, per se. And Colorado's already done it. You know, yeah. you got you got Montana, which has legalized it medically, which they're also looking to legalize it uh, outright as well. And that's one of those things, you know, you got California, you know, it's a little farther away, Seattle, Washington, you know, it's like at some point Utah is going to have to give and be like, look, we're losing all this money on it. Yeah. Finally, finally legalize it. Let people, you know, have some medicine that they won't get addicted to. They won't make them, 
you know, overdose and all this kind of stuff. It's like you, at some point the church has got to give. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. I've never heard a viable argument for why marijuana should be illegal because almost every time it's, it's like the people who want it illegal are the people who believe the reefer madness was like a true documentary. Yeah. It's like, what the, what the hell? Like, have you ever, cause like, yeah, I've smoked plenty of pot and like, the buzz I get from alcohol is like so much more impairing <laughs> yeah. than like anything that like pot ever did. Exactly. Like it's, it's just silly that. Yeah. Having marijuana is to me, like I'm totally fine with it. People can smoke it all they want to. And it just it, like being in the bar industry too. Like I had those guys that come in and all they would do is come in. They'd have maybe one beer, but you know, they go out to the parking lot, hit their one hitter and be totally fine all night, you know, not bothering anybody. It's all cool. But then, but this is like alcohol is a, it's killed so many people from drunk drivers and you got all these other, you know, different, you know, drugs and stuff where people have overdosed and killed, but you never really have heard anybody being like, Oh, well, somebody OD on marijuana. Or, you know, they got, you know, drunk in their car and went and kills that drunk, but, uh, got high in their car, ended up killing somebody because they were too high to drive. Yeah. It's, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I've heard so many different stories about why it's illegal, like all the way back from that, uh, there was some newspaper guy and he didn't want it to roll his factories over to producing hemp paper. So like he started pushing his papers to release articles about how, uh, blacks and Mexicans were smoking this new drug called marijuana and like raping white women. Like, yeah. Some bullshit. And then I've heard other stories about how Nixon pushed to make it all legal as a way to throw Vietnam protesters in, in jail and stuff. And yeah, I've heard that. I heard you can't tax it at all, which was the big thing. Like Mississippi's like, Oh, you know, you can't, you know, you can't tax it. Whatever. It's like, okay, well, you could tax tobacco that goes out of the ground the same way marijuana does. You can tax tobacco, but you can't tax marijuana the same way. It doesn't make any sense. Dude, the government can, like, tax anything they want. Yeah. <laughs> like, my wife and I got, a, a, a like, a part-time job a long time ago just cleaning um, this office. And so we'd just go in every weekend and clean it and made around 50 bucks. And when the, when the both of us worked together on it, it only took us, like, around a half hour. So it was like, oh, okay, this goes really fast. This is some easy money. And then we picked up a handful of other offices to clean. And so we were making some, you know, nothing to like live off of, but, you know, kind of nice. To, extra cash. Yeah, a little bit of extra cash. And then one day I get a letter from the IRS saying that I owe like $1,800 in back taxes because I haven't been charging, I haven't been paying sales tax. And I'm like, I had number one, I had no idea that like there's sales tax that goes into like a, a service, like, going in and vacuuming floors and dumping garbage cans and like seriously and and the way it was explained to me was that even if like there's a kid mowing lawns in the summertime he's supposed to be paying sales tax that's ridiculous <laughs> so yeah so yeah the government is totally okay with letting huge corporations <laughs> yeah. get off for billions, but they're going to make my ass pay $1,800 in back taxes and penalties. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just like, <laughs> was it in the newspapers? <laughs> yeah, the newspapers not too long ago. 
think it was either it was earlier this summer or last year where they were like sh- like some like town was shutting down lemonade stands that kids had up because they weren't paying taxes on the lemonade oh. stands. Yeah. Or like the cops were writing ticket for them and stuff like that. And it was just like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's, that's authority gotten out of control. And it's like, yeah. come on, you don't need to squeeze. If you need to squeeze every bit of revenue out of the system, then why don't you start taxing Walmart and, and Apple yeah. and all these other huge companies that have, you know, offshore tax havens and shit like that. And, yeah, funneling their money through other things to uh, yeah. be able to get away with a lot more. You got Trump saying in the debates that, that he didn't pay any taxes because he's smart. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, you didn't pay any taxes because you were rich. <laughs> and you paid off the tax man to look away while you didn't pay your taxes. <laughs> You're a cunt with fake hair. <laughs> yeah. I had to throw that <laughs> Oh, no, you can say all you want about it. I don't, I don't, I don't do politics, but I love to like, once oh. I find out like what side of the fence, you know, most people are on, I will, I would definitely like, cause you could say like troll them just to get a rise oh, yeah. out of them to be like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do that just for fun. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, it's so funny too. Cause like, of course, like back home in Mississippi, like, and well out here too as well. Utah's big Republicans, but like, Mississippi, you know, all my relatives back home are mainly like Bible thumping Republicans and stuff like that. And even my little brother is like big, like Trump supporter. And so like every chance I get, and I have to keep like two separate Facebooks, like one for my family, uh, for my mom and like my mom and them and everybody. And then like one for like my friends and stuff that I have because like I'll put stuff on like one of my Facebooks that are just, just like out there. But I know if I post it on my mom's, like I'll get calls from my aunt, my grandma. Why are you posting this about this? This that's that's just wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> like living a double life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So if any of my friends from you know the Hellas of Army see another you know purpose out there, it's probably me. You probably found my other one, <laughs> <laughs> which I will not accept your request. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because God you knows won't. what you're going to tag me in. <laughs> yeah. You will stay in Facebook purgatory. <laughs> That's one thing I found out dealing with my relatives back home is like they'll sit there and try to add my, you know, usually say my my account that I use every day. They'll try to add it, and I found out that if you don't deny them a friend request, like you don't deny the friend request, it just sits there, and it keeps them from like coming back and adding you again. Like they can delete it. But nine times out of ten, they'll just let it sit there being like, why hasn't he accepted that friend request yet? <laughs> Works out a lot better than you know just deleting them and then having them come back and add you again 50 million times. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I keep seeing that little red one pop up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I notice it more on Twitter than on Facebook, but there's lots of like fake things on Twitter where – it's the profile pic in every single time, like the profile picture. I don't know if that's what you call it on Twitter, but you know, the little picture that shows up with it. Yeah. Uh, it's always some chick with lots of cleavage. And then there's oh, yeah. like something, something about like, watch me fuck or something like that. And it's like, what is oh, yeah, this? Sex bots are out there. Like, uh, what they want the, the followers. That? So they get that, you know, that one lonely guy in his dad's basement or something, you know, that <laughs> might click on that and, you know, spend his, 
you know, social security check or something on watching some girl on a camera, you know, halfway across the world. Oh, okay. I didn't even, I, I just assumed they were trying to get you to click on some link that would then infect your system with a virus or something like that. Oh, I didn't there, even I'm think that sure maybe there's was... some of that is, but most of the time it's just like cam models and stuff. That is so funny. From weird. what I've seen, I don't know firsthand if that's true, but that's just my best guess. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder... I wonder how long the internet was around before that seedy underbelly of it, like, developed. Uh, honestly, it probably developed pretty quickly as the internet came out. Because, you know, there's there's got to be, like, some guy that was, like, of course, like, with hackers and stuff like that, and the, the dark web that had to be, like, I'm interested in this. Like, I want to see how it gets in there and works and get in there and, like, read the code. And also, he's like, oh, yeah, develop that. And then they found out they can, you know send stuff quicker through the internet. And it was just like, oh, why send out, you know, mailers when we can just pop online and, you know, feed your Twitter all day with, you know, our advertisement. <laughs> you know, and everybody wants to look at that sort of stuff, whether they want to say yeah. it or not. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen that meme where it shows, like, the the evolution of cell phones? It, like, starts with, like like, the old, like, Zach Morris style. Like brick uh-huh, cell phone, the brick. and then it like goes down, 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 and then there's like a midpoint, and it says this is where porn became available on phones. And then all of a sudden the screens get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> exactly, the screen takes up the whole phone. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. That's one of the things I debated about. Not looking at porn, but debated about on my last phone. I was like, do I really need the screen that big, or do I want it to fit in my hand nicely? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> do I want to be? Because now they're just. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> now they're just getting outrageous. Now they're just getting outrageous with them. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I saw some dude sitting like through the window, sitting in a restaurant. It looked like he was holding an iPad up to the side of his face on a phone call. Oh goodness! I, like, I see. I couldn't do that. Is that? <laughs> that's that's for them one percent people. <laughs> I know iPads are super cool, but every time I've looked at how much they cost, I'm like, no fucking way. Yeah, I just like, I was like, man. I got my iPhone 6s, and that's like. My iPhone can do exactly what the iPad can do. It's like I have no, you know, there's no reason outside. Like I don't do work that requires me to have an iPad. You know, I, I it just it is, it's an extension, like a different phone to me. Yeah, yeah. My um, my kids got Kindles, and but I mean, we waited and got them when they were super cheap because there was like yeah. Amazon Prime customer appreciation day, appreciation day or something like that. They were like thirty dollars. Yeah, like super I think we, I think cheap. My girlfriend's mom did the same thing for her four-year-old because her little four-year-old has a Kindle, and if we let him, he'll like he'll stay on Netflix that I set up for him, and he'll stay on YouTube and watch like unboxing videos for toys all day and yeah. not move a muscle. <laughs> That's what my kids are watching, and then they went on to watching, um, like basically like a screen capture of someone else playing like a video game. Oh yeah, and like they're See? just watching it and they're like so stoked on it. And so I'm like, oh okay, this is awesome. Like I'm gonna hook up my old PS2 in you guys' room and I'll put the Super Nintendo in there and stuff also. And like they'll get super frustrated within playing for a few minutes and then just talk me into playing. <laughs> like yeah, you just want to watch someone else play? And they're like, yeah. Like, that's so weird. Like, I, I, I mean, that's, when I was that's... a kid. You know, we had to take turns and see so you'd sit and watch your friend play for a while. But you know the the goal is always to get the controller in your hand again. <laughs> yeah. It's like you sit there and watch them do it 
and you wait for them to die. And then you take that <laughs> knowledge of what you just watched them do and just try to beat that and get farther than they did. So you didn't, you know, you wanted to be able to beat that game in one swoop. So you never had to give the controller up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, like my, little, my girlfriend's game. little four year old, like he'll sit there and like these unboxing videos of like dinosaur toys and stuff. Like his big thing is dinosaurs right now. And so he'll sit nice. there and watch dinosaur like toy unboxing videos and for like hours on end if we let him we had to get it to a point where we're just like nope it's like you know it's either time to play with your actual dinosaur toys that we've bought you that are the same ones in that video or you know we're not there's no you know youtube at all for you <laughs> but it's just so weird what like kids watch nowadays and there's like there's been sometimes he's like sitting here watching a video and it's making some weird noise and you look at it and it's some like computer animated like dinosaur looking all weird and stuff and you're like who comes up with this stuff? And then B, how do kids find this stuff on YouTube? Yeah. It's like, that doesn't seem interesting at all. But like you said, like kids are all about it. And that's like maybe like me, like I can't sit there and watch somebody like play like, you know, uh, like on Twitch or whatever, you know, people live stream their video games. It's yeah. like, if I'm going to sit there, I, mean, I may look at it like once to see how they beat something. If I've, you know, just totally given up and I'm just trying to beat it myself and see how they do it. But other than that, I can't sit there for hours on end and watch somebody else play a video game. It's just, I'll just go play it myself and be done with it. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> or at least watch something with a plot. I mean, I, I guess I'd understand if you were watching like one of those Telltale games or something like that. Because that'd be something yeah. kind of like watching a movie. But, wow. Yeah. yeah. Or even or even like those like the old strategy games and stuff like that as far as... Because like, the game that I play on my phone right now that I've been uh, getting into is... Uh, Clash Royale, and of course it's kind of like uh, Hearthstone and stuff that Blizzard makes to where you like yeah it's kind of like Magic where you had your cards and there's like you know if you use like a certain combination of cards you can be able to you know attack quicker and stuff like that and just going on Reddit and you know reading different strategies from different folks about how to use what cards win and I've gone on there and watched some you know replays of people's games just to see how they might attack and use these cards differently but that's been about the extent of it. Yeah, I'm pretty boring with the games on my phone. <laughs> I have uh, Solitaire, and I have an obsession with trying to beat a game in less than a minute. Dang. I haven't, I've, I've gotten to like a minute 13 or like a minute 12 or something like that. I got really freaking close on one of them. But then like the, the one that I have, it'll come up and it'll show you like the best stats. And it's like, mm-hmm. there'll be ones where it's like the top time is like 37 seconds or something. And the only thing yeah. I can assume is it's just somebody with an insanely good memory that has like gone through and replayed the game after because you can like hit an option to like just watch the computer run through the entire game like like the best way. Yeah. And so it's like, do they just memorize this shit and then just run through <laughs> it, or are there like Rain Man people out there that can just seriously play a game of Solitaire that fast? And then I, I think, I would, how fucking boring am I that I'm thinking this much about Solitaire? <laughs> I, w- I would say, uh, I would, I would put my money on Rain Man. <laughs> Which was a great movie, by the way. That was a fucking great sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I put my money on Rain Man. <laughs> it's funny. I, had a, I got a buddy that, uh, he's a little Asian kid. His name is Long. He uh, worked at the scout camp with us back in the day. But uh, I kind of grew up as one of my buddies back home. We kind of went to different high schools, but we always hung out afterwards. But uh, he ended up quitting college and just playing poker. And ended up, he's 
I don't know if he still is, but I knew at one point he was banned from like two or three casinos on the coast of Mississippi from going in there and just taking them for money. Never said what he did. I don't know if he was reading cards or whatever, but now he flip flops back and forth from Vegas to Miami and just, that's all he does every day is just go to poker tables and just play poker all day. Wow. Yeah. The kid is like super, super smart and like probably could have gone, like didn't go to college at all. Just went straight into playing poker. And that's it. That's all he's ever done. Wow. What a weird life that would be. Yeah. No, it's funny because I have, like, I have him on Snapchat and all his Snapchats are either like food that he's eating or he has a weird obsession with claw games. And so he's always winning like those like stuffed animal prizes out of claw games or it's like stack of poker chips and that's it. I don't understand. My brother-in-law. My wife's younger brother is really good at those claw games too, and I don't think I've ever freaking won anything out of one of those. See, the key to claw games is you gotta watch, you gotta look for the ones, like, I guess you say, like, the bigger the pile looks, that means they're not packed down in there. But if you find those, like, claw games that are all, like, packed in and stuff like that, they've got them to where you're not gonna, the claw's not strong enough to pull them out. But you'll get it one or two times to where, you know, you'll find one that's just, like, sitting on top where enough people have grabbed at it to where it's finally loose enough for the claw to, you know, get it and pull it out of there. I knew there had to be a trick to it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. The, the bar that I work at, they have a, they have a guy that has a, he puts a claw game in there, but like it's all filled with like porno mags, fireworks, condoms, <laughs> uh, at home drug test kids, at home pregnancy test kids. Oh, yeah, it costs a dollar. I'll have to take a picture and send it to you when I go there tonight. Please. But yeah, it has like glass dildos in it. Like it's what? it's filled with this. It's it's filled with the most outrageous stuff you'll probably ever see in a claw game. I didn't expect to hear any of that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not your typical claw game. So a glass dildo. <laughs> yep. Like, so, where'd you get that? I got it for a dollar at the bar. Got it for, yeah, I got it for a dollar at the bar. But yeah, that, of <laughs> course, that kid has it shoved rigged that up. up. My ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> so Finally get to take that old used one out. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> 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 but yeah, there's, there's some... It's been so fun. It's about the, about the funniest thing I've ever seen, like, a bar have. Of course, you always get ones that have, like, of course, pinball machines and, like, the different, like, uh, like the Zoltan game or whatever with the fortune teller and everything. But, yeah. yeah. When I saw that claw game, I first got here to Utah. I was like, what the fuck are y'all into at this place? <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if just some, like, straight-laced, like, LDS person just walked in there and saw that? <laughs> It's, 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 and it's one of those things that like, you could like, you could sit at the bar and, like some of that you could tell it's their first time because they come in, because they come in and like when you go into the door, you come in the door and you turn left, kind of go to the pool tables and the machine's just kind of tucked right there on the side between like a pinball machine and like a golden tee golf game, and you just walk by and people are like, oh, you know what's in there? It's like, oh, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> and you just kind of see their like their face and their reaction and everything. You're just kind of like, oh, well, they've never seen that before. <laughs> I remember. But it, it is funny though. We do have uh, be at the bar. We do have like a lot of uh, Mormon like people that come in, and like I know I know one guy that comes in. He's a Mormon bishop, 
but he also is worth like $1.2 million. And so like the owner and he drives, he has somebody drive him an hour from where he lives all the way up to our bar. So he doesn't get caught. So therefore he can come up here and drink and, you know, relax, whatever. And then he has someone drive him all the way back to where he is after he's had three sons drinking. Wow. Yeah. We had, we've had a couple of Mormons come in and we're just like, oh, I just needed a beer today. I'll go home, go repent. They'll be fine about it later. Right on. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the nice thing about the Christian religion, right? As long as you mean it when you ask for forgiveness. Yeah, that's exactly. That's it was explained to me. But. <laughs> Back home down south, it was like, you could always tell which religion other people were. Like they were like Methodist or Lutheran or Southern Baptist, depending on like how long of a conversation they would have with you in the liquor store. Cause like the Southern Baptist wouldn't speak to you. They'd just kind of like nod at you. And then like the Methodists would have like a little five minute conversation, but then the Lutherans would just sit there and talk to you all day. Like, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> so is that just depending on like their level of shame at being in there? Oh yeah. Well, like, just of course being in the South and being in the Bible belt, everybody's like super highly religious and they were like, Oh no, like you're not supposed to drink stuff like that. And so it's just how much I guess they, you say they didn't give a fuck about it. Yeah. But it's always like the Southern Baptist folks that wouldn't acknowledge, you know, you while you're in there per se, but then they try to get their head nod and be like, I don't tell if you don't tell. Wow. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny. It's just, wow. Just the rules that people hold themselves to. Yeah. It's like, it's so strange because, you know, on the one hand, I can see how, like, religion, like, especially a really long time ago, was would have been like a really great thing because you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page ethically you know and somebody's not yeah. gonna kill you in your sleep or ethically morally and all that kind of stuff that sort of stuff but but wow you know thousands of years later when you see what it's like the the permeations that it can change into yeah the way they can what? affect different people and and you know the way it's affected just vast swaths of the country it's yeah it's a real trip yeah, it is. And that's, and that's also like one big thing I've always had about religion is that, you know, and the people, you know, they preach the Bible and everything saying, oh, this is, you know, the one true word of God, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, well then why has the Bible changed so much from when it was first written to now? You know, if it was the true, you know, meaningful, you know, word of God, why did it have to be saying changed so much for, you know, certain areas of like Europe over here in America got changed, you know, different ways. Like, you know, what, what was there? What was so, what needed to be changed from what he, you know, meant for it and, you know, written it, had it written for, you know, to serve its purpose, I guess you could say, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, why, why after the discovery of the dead sea scrolls, why didn't they all just switch to that? Be like, yeah. all right, this is the this is the unedited version. <laughs> yeah, because you know, some of it kind of matched up, and others like I haven't you know read any of it or anything like that. I've just more kind of read other articles discussing it, and I guess there's some of it that matches up kind of decently, and other stuff that's like pretty far out there. And there's other yeah. entire books that like none of the other Bibles have, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and my big thing is like, of course, history was one of my uh, you know favorite subjects growing up, and I went to college for it. And 
this big thing is like I always kind of put two and two together is where, you know, with the Bible, as far as religion goes, it always was one of those like controlling factors of the masses to where I could see where they might want to change something yeah. to actually to suit this sort of people to therefore they would be able to control the mass, I guess you could say a little bit better than what it actually said in the, you know, the Bible per se. Cause you get like, you know, Martin Luther changed it all when he did the 90, was it 98 or 99 thesis or whatever, you know, no to the door, you know, rewrote it and they started following that for a while. And then you get like the King James version, which most people, you know, use nowadays until you get the other things like the NIV version that's come out. And the only explanation I've ever gotten for it is like, oh, well, you know, times change, you know, things evolve and stuff like that. But I guess I always, the one rebuttal always happens. It's like, okay, well, if that's the case, you're still changing the word of God from its original meaning. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <sighs> I think religious is just one of those things that's best kept as an idea. You know, yeah. rather than a, a staunch belief, because in the yeah. end, you know, it's like, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I get by fine on just, I just, I, I don't want to negatively affect people. Like, yeah, and, and I know eventually, you know, and negatively affecting somebody, that uh, there's a certain amount of that that's just going to be based on perception, right? Because yeah. say my neighbor, his dog won't stop barking. And I go over and I say, hey, man, you really need to make your dog stop barking. In his eyes, that might be, you know, a, a negative encounter and be, be like, oh, that guy's an asshole. But it really, in my mind, it's like, no, dude, you're an asshole with a dark barking dog. Yeah. So I don't That's know. That's why mine start... has a bark collar right now. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's only he's only a little bit over one years old. And so he's in that kind of thing where he wants to bark at the door and we live in like a close apartment where it's like, we know the neighbors on the other side of the wall don't want to hear you bark. So yeah. Well, and I know there's plenty of people out there too that would, you know, not like the thought of that, but yeah, but I, I'm more on the side of like, I'm not doing things over here that's affecting you over there. So how about you don't do things that affect me over here? Exactly. One of the things that Iowa just passed was they made it. We were always a state where fireworks were illegal, except for like sparklers and snakes. Uh huh. And this year they passed it so you can fire off pretty much. It seems like anything you want. And so it's just been like a war zone around here lately. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Utah, Utah needs to ban them because like right now, like our grass and everything is just so dry. It's like we had a. We had a whole like park almost burn up and people like I had a hundred people had to evacuate their homes mm. inside like the city limits of like uh, South Salt Lake because of people shooting off fireworks. And it's like, yeah. I know it's the 4th of July. You want to, you know, you want to, you know, shoot off your fireworks, enjoy your holiday. But think about this logically. I mean, the grass, the weather is super dry right now. You know, you could ruin somebody's house and ruin their livelihood because you wanted to be someone that wanted to shoot off your Roman candle in the wrong direction. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things my wife and I were talking about is that it's not so much I care that they're legal in Iowa. I just wish people wouldn't fire them off in town. Yeah. Because it's like, come on, dude. Number one, it's like really loud. and Yeah. But number two, it's like, what if that thing doesn't reach its full trajectory? What if it only goes up yeah. half as high and it lands in your neighbor's eave that has dry leaves in it and then the thing explodes and it starts your neighbor's roof on fire? Who's exactly. liable? There's people, 
people people want the freedoms. They just don't want the responsibility that come with those freedoms. Oh, that is a perfect way to put it, dude. That's exactly what that is. is people want to be able to say, hey, I'm free to do this, but then they don't think about the responsibility that also comes with that freedom. Man, you could you could actually you could apply that to so many things. So much exactly. douchey yep. behavior. And yep. it all comes down to that that people are like Oh man. That's like such yes, a like simple said, thing that I'm gonna be tripping out on that now. Yeah, and a lot of people don't like I said, a lot of people don't think of it that way. You know, they want to be able to come and go as they please, but yet there's always a everything you do, there's always a responsible action for what you're doing. And most people either ignore it or, you know, they actually do take the responsibility for what they've done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hmm. That is but, weird how people, you know, the, the even weirder kind of variation of that is people that try and get something stamped out for everybody, but then they do it themselves. Like, oh did, yeah! Did you see that picture with that that beach that like Chris Christie had gotten closed, and then there was like helicopter paparazzi oh, yeah. shots of him and his, his family being the only people on it sitting out there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was like, why, that was why so would ridiculous. Be surprised by that, <laughs> and I don't How mean that because it's just, yeah. If you if there's just some people that should not be allowed power. Yeah, and and then when you see a lot of people like. Number one, you should always be wary of anybody that stands up and goes, hey, I'll be in charge. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, no, you won't. Sit back down. Is, is this coming from an altruistic place? Or do you just want to be a big swinging dick and tell people what to do? Like, which exactly. one's it going to be? More than likely, it's just they want to fucking tell people what to do. They want that beach for themselves. <laughs> I don't know, but you could probably trace back a lot of my ideas to, to like what I was saying about Boy Scouts earlier. And Joe really doesn't like authority. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like me. It's like me and uh, the roommate I used to live with. We always had this motto. It's like, you know what? Don't take our guns. Just let us drink our beer, you know, you know, drink our whiskey or whatever, and just leave us alone. And we won't be bothering nobody else. If you come to try to take those things away from us, and then we'll fight you on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I grew up with guns, and so guns have never been guns have been never been something that I've gotten too excited about. And I've actually gotten lots of really big arguments with people that are like, "Didn't you make them all legal?" It's like, well, honestly, how's that going to work? Like, yeah. So the people who follow the law that have guns are going to turn their guns in, and then the people who don't follow the law with guns, the ones who are the problem keep their guns and now only the crazy fucking outlaws have guns exactly it's, like, it's and a little here, late for the ban all guns discussion yeah <laughs> and i'll tell you right now you come to utah telling utah folks you're gonna take their guns and you're gonna have world war three on your hands dude those a lot of those big western states up there <laughs> like you said utah up in Northern, idaho montana yeah, Wyoming. Ruby ridge people <laughs> you're not yeah. taking their guns <laughs> yeah exactly no they, these people out here are crazy about their guns I mean, in, it isn't like I have an idea on how to solve like any sort of gun issues. I don't. But I certainly know that taking guns away from responsible, law-abiding citizens is not an answer. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah. Because it's all going to make them do is go out and buy more guns to stockpile. Yeah. So. They, I don't know. There needs to be, There needs to be more education with it. And... 
I've seen lots of people have a cavalier attitude with firearms, like at the gun range. Yeah. In, in, you know, back when I used to, I mean, that used to be the thing that my wife and I did every weekend. It would be Saturday morning, we'd drop the kids off with grandma and grandpa, and we'd go to the range, and we'd send like two or three hundred nine millimeter slugs down range. Yeah. And that was what we did. And so we did that for quite a while, and I saw lots of people that were were great, responsible gun owners, and then I'd see the weirdos who would show up with like a plastic Santa or a VCR or a toaster and like just throw it down there and... <laughs> and it just just you know, light it up with unnecessary firearms. Yeah, and then like the like they'd be like loading their gun with like it pointing at you, and it's like, dude, you have no muzzle control. Yeah, like I don't like the way you're handling that thing. I don't like like the stupid, you know. And it, like, sure, I'd I'd like to shoot at fun stuff like that, but it's like there's a time and a place for it. It's like you're not going to take exactly. that to a public range and do that in front of a bunch of other people. It's just, me. and then they'd also just leave the shit there. Most yeah. of the time, they See, just leave. And that's the one cool thing about Utah. I mean, you can drive forty-five minutes west out into the desert and not be around anybody, and just take whatever guns you got and just go blow whatever you want up. Like they, we recently just had a uh, event here called Shoot Tall, which is basically <laughs> just like you were saying. They had like uh, they had like vans, cars. Different things. I mean, there was guys out there with Gatlin guns, all types of stuff. Just Holy shit. The pictures just unloading on, you know, just whatever kind of gun you wanted to bring. And, of course, you had people out there with, like, 50 caliber, like, uh, sniper rifles and stuff. Just blowing the crap all to pieces. Unreal. But, yeah, Utah is Utah has guns. There's honestly, like, she came to here, drive through the street. Like, every couple of blocks, she would find a gun store or a gun range, an indoor gun range. They even have it now that where they have, like, uh... Like skeet ranges inside, you know, they should, you, you'd think that a skeet range would only have to be outside because, you know, you're shooting up into the air, but they have indoor ones here and old warehouses and stuff now, which oh, is like be, ridiculous to me. That would be retarded loud. Yeah. Shooting a 12 gauge indoors, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Dude, when, when I tested for my concealed carry, it was the first time I ever shot in an indoor um, shooting range. Uh-huh. And. I had to do the shooting part twice because I was not prepared for how distracting it would be on the first go. Like, yeah. like involuntarily flinching because it's like, I'm just one of five dudes who's just shooting down range. And yeah. it is, and each of us have only got like, you had to shoot like five rounds and then do a magazine reload so they could see that you were competent at your reload. And, you know, they'd watch how you handled your firearm and all that. And then you'd shoot another five, and then they kind of based on that. You were shooting it, I think it was like an IFC-style tar- target or whatever, where it was like more or less like a like a humanoid outline, and it had yeah. like concentric circles going into the chest or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, it was so... <laughs> I, I think when I did the, my second test, I put, like, earplugs in and then put earmuffs over it. And then got 100% yeah. on my second try because I was, like, prepared for it. Yeah, the, the, time. the like, echo oh, the echo is so loud in those places. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. But man, I, I haven't shot a pistol in a long time now. I had quite a few of them at one point, and then when I got into rock climbing, I started, I was like, what can I sell <laughs> to buy all this gear that I need? <laughs> That's, before I, moved, before I moved from Mississippi out here, I had about six, seven different handguns. I had a 12-gauge Mossberg. And then I had a 30 off six rifle Winchester. 
And I sold every single one of them to help pay for me moving out here. I was like, well, A, I had had taxes too because I was a bartender. And of course, I didn't pay taxes until you came around. So I was like, okay, I can sell two guns, cover my taxes, sell the rest of these guns, and then have enough money to move out here and you know, kind of give me a little leeway before I had to find a job and stuff like that. And that's what I did. Like, I don't own any weapons at all now, but the first little money I get saved up, I'm going to end up getting, like, back into at least getting a little, just a little home defense pistol kind of deal. Yeah, the, the last one I got rid of was my Glock 17, which is like a full-size 9mm. Yeah. And, and my dad knew that I didn't want to get rid of it, but I was kind of strapped for money at the time. And he was like, well, I'll give you the money for it, and then someday when you want to buy it back, I'll sell it to you for the same price. Nice. <laughs> so nice. yeah, I've just kind of got that sitting on ice now. <laughs> Where it's like, at some point, I'm going to have an extra you know, several hundred yeah, dollars the, laying around. And it's like, I'm going to get my Glock back. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could have said I didn't have, but I had two 1911s that I tried to get oh, my stepdad to buy. Uh, and I tried I tried forever to get him to buy them. And he, so he was just like, I don't have the money for them or whatever. I was like, crap. So I just didn't have to sell them to a couple of buddies that I know, which I know they're not selling them back because I had like trigger mod on it and everything. I got custom grips on it. Oh and everything. shit. Like, it was, Dude, I love the 1911 frame. It is so fucking slick. And 1911 45s, like they are the best to me that like they're the best can still carry. Cause I mean, it's enough power. I mean, you shoot it at somebody, it's going to knock them down. Oh yeah. Somebody gets up. Somebody gets up from a 45. You better start running. No shit. But then, uh, <laughs> but it's just, it's just a good gun that has stood the test of time. It doesn't hardly ever, you know, jam up stuff like that on you. I mean, it's, I love a good 1911. Yeah. I ended up buying a Glock just because it was, they're just so simple to use. And, yeah. And they've got a really, really good track record as according to, um, like, have you heard of like all the different torture test stuff that they put a Glock pistol through? Yep, yep. <laughs> it's like crazy yeah. stuff. <laughs> it's it's a good it's a good well made gun. I give it that. But See, had, it's not pretty like a 1911 is. <laughs> like a oh 1911's no. a gorgeous fucking gun. Oh yeah, 1911's a like you said pretty. You can do so much to them and make them so much nicer than what they are. I mean, it's that gun is that gun is the gun to have. Yeah, but yeah, th- this right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like talking about all these guns and thinking about how much I want them. And then I remember how much they cost. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah that's why it was easy to quit being into guns so much. Yeah. When you're like, oh, I'm going to give me a new gun. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that's four or $500 down the drain. <laughs> and then it's another two or $300 if you try to change the sights out on it or the trigger on it or, you know, yeah. buy an extended mag to it and everything. And it's it's a sinkhole. It is a sinkhole. Because <laughs> then when you want to go shoot it, that's not cheap. And I even got oh, to the no. point where I bought like a, a single-stage reloading press, and I'd sit out in my garage and just press 9mm round after round. <laughs> and just do, yeah, do your own. You know, it's yep. like, shit. It's like the one thing my stepdad back home, is when he goes to uh, when he goes to a gun, a gun show, when they have a Mississippi, the first things he does is go... Uh, Goes and find the guy that has the most like 22 ammo and has the most like nine millimeter ammo and the most 40 ammo, and he'll buy up as much as that guy will sell him, just because he goes and shoots like those are his three that he goes and shoots so much that he just blows through ammo all the time. And the 22 are getting where it's you know it's hard to find them, and uh, but my like I said my house back home or my parents' house back home 
like their garage is just like a freaking like you remember that dude in uh what is it uh the mo- uh, uh, I don't want to say the sand movie with the worms dune not dune it was the other one uh they made like three or four different no they made three <laughs> or four different movies off of it Kevin Bacon was in it oh tremors think of- tremors yes the Reba McIntyre's husband. Yes. With the dude. Yeah. That's how my st- that's garage is. With all the weapons on the wall. <laughs> but it's like awesome. stacks and stacks of ammo. So that's what like my little sister's like said, she's up here visiting. We had to talk about the wheel and everything. And they were like, yeah, she's like, don't expect much money, but you just know all those guns are getting split up between all three of us. Yeah. My little sister, she's a big, she's for a girl. She's a big gun enthusiast also. That's like awesome. she has her, she has her concealed carry and then she has, when I helped her move, there was three or four guns I had helped move out. And I was like, when did you get this? And she was like, I don't know. I saw it at the gun show, so I decided to buy it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what being 28, no kids, no, you know. Yeah. No having to do besides your rent and your car insurance goes to, you know. You can do things like that. Oh, man. I, I'd, I'd always have so much fun going to the gun range with my wife. And it was more like I enjoyed when she would shoot and I'd watch the other people around. And when they'd notice what a good shot she was. And the best was there was these four or five dudes sighting in a hunting rifle right next to us. And so Lindsay loaded up and started firing and went through, I don't know, probably like 10 rounds or something. And they were all in the circle. And these guys were like, holy shit, I wouldn't want to break into her house. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you'd be dead. <laughs> Center mass. <laughs> but I think one of the big things that stopped me from from getting my one handgun back is just with the age that my kids are right now. Yeah. And it's like, I don't really know if I want, and you know, I've got a gun safe and everything, but my dad's yeah. got a much nicer gun safe. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm okay with it. Just being there. Being there. Yeah. And That's like what it is. It's like, we got a four year old in the house and I, not until he was a lot older and more, you know, what you call it. Would I ever decide like to bring one in more that he can, teach him the rules of gun safety and he could understand them per se know that you know it's nothing to play with you know we'll take it to the range we'll shoot and stuff like that but that's all it's pretty much used for yeah you know it's not a toy to get out and play around with yeah ain't that the truth yeah and man you gotta teach some adults that oh i, I have a buddy in mississippi he's was in the military and everything just got out of the military what does he do Go to the gun range. His M16 went off, blew his leg off. Oh. So his one leg has went, blew the lower left of his, uh, the lower part of his left leg off. And now he has to walk around with a prosthetic and everything. Damn. Just because of one little mental mishap, he thought it was clear and it wasn't. Ended up just shattering that bone inside of his leg because it was like, because the barrel was just basically like right there on it. And it was like, we can cut it off because there's no, there's no reason to do reconstruction on it. So, Ugh, that's rough, man. Yep. Well, I've heard stories like that, like locker rooms of police departments, like you can generally look around and see where there's bullet holes at. From, yeah. You know, guns that accidentally went off, and man, there was some story. I mean, it happened years ago in one of the small towns around here, where like the sheriff was like buying a gun off one of his deputies, and like the sheriff accidentally got shot in the neck and it like paralyzed him. Ooh. It's like holy shit, man! How does? Yeah. It's like you know, it just goes to show that you know, 
sorts of accidents they can happen with professionals and so when you're dealing with something like that you got to be on you got to be on point. point about it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the entire time like i don't know one of the most casual things that i always see at the gun range that would drive me nuts is people putting their finger on the trigger before the sights were lined up on what they were going to shoot at oh yeah exactly and but then one thing i noticed is that like the more i got in to like shooting guns and stuff then like it really turned me off of watching people use guns on tv shows and shit so i'd be like that isn't how you fucking carry that thing around <laughs> like, what the it's, hell yep because <laughs> it was so funny i'm i guess i'm not you know friends with the guy but i'm mutual friends with uh one of the guys that used to be on that tv show sons of guns uh okay yeah i remember one that. Of the, yeah, not the main guy who was like raping his daughter or whatever, but like one of the guys that was in the shop, you know, just helping him build and everything. And then he ended up quitting the show. And I guess, I think he's, the last thing I saw on Facebook, he's in, actually in talks with the History Channel or I forgot what, I forgot what network. It was like A&E or History Channel, whichever the one the show was on about starting up another show that's similar to that. But, uh, because he has his own sh- gun building shop now and stuff down there in South Louisiana. And uh, basically doing the same thing as Sons of Guns did on their TV show, but uh, but yeah, like even him, like he always points out on stuff. He's like, yeah, there's been two or three times on that show to where we almost like killed a crew member because somebody was digging around and, and like almost shot somebody. I was like, yeah, that's because y'all are out there blowing up RVs and stuff with like guns <laughs> mounted to jeeps. Yeah, like doing dumb stuff, <laughs> dumb yeah. stuff that looks awesome. <laughs> Building flamethrowers for World War II veterans and stuff, you know, it's like. Y'all were doing crazy stuff. He's like, yeah. It's like, we won't be doing that no more, though. <laughs> That's wild when you think of some of the shit that they do just for TV shows. Oh, yeah. Like, God, and damn, that's got to be dangerous. That's, and, I, and I'll tell you, it's funny, because uh, one of the guys that owns a bar in Louisiana, that I guess you could say we're kind of, the, the bar that I worked at back home, they were kind of like sister bars, because uh, he'd send some of his... You know, because he worked at a bar that was on the side of Lake Pontchartrain. He'd only have, like, girls and stuff there. And, well, when it was slow during the winter, you know, when there was out there on the boats and stuff like that, he'd run a uh, bell bonds business. And, of course, that's when those, uh, you know, those, let's go to Louisiana because it's cheap to film. And maybe those TV shows, we're going to follow you around. You do your bell bonds business. And we just want to follow you, you know, reality TV. Yeah, after the crew got shot at, like, twice, they were, like, they pulled out. They were, like, it's too dangerous. You know, we're not doing that this down here in South Louisiana at all. He's like, I try to tell y'all, like this is these people are backwoods. You know, you're up on their house with, you know, trying to serve warrants and, you know, filming them the whole time. You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna take lightly to that. These ain't your normal regular people. Yeah, <laughs> these people are keeping it real. Yeah, <laughs> like out in Lord of the Flies country. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, go pretty much with is. People there. Yeah, because I mean, like some of those places out there, like on the Pontchartrain and stuff, there's some people that live out there, and you can't get to the house unless you're by boat. And you know, and they see somebody coming up on boat, either A, you're related to them, or B, they knew you were coming already. You just don't show up unannounced out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really kind of the thing, though, isn't it? It's like. You got to think that the more remote a place is, kind of the more wary you want to be walking up on that. Because there's probably a reason that that person's way out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Do you see much of that? Like, I mean, you're probably mostly on public land and stuff when you're doing big hikes out there, right? 
Yeah, everything out of here is mostly like BLM land. And that's where we try to do it because a lot of the stuff like with Utah, with everything, a lot of it has gotten to where it's federal land. Just so people uh, like the national parks and everything, most of the stuff you're paying for. But you get out in some areas of Utah, like there's places called like Price and stuff to where there's people that have been out there forever and they're just out there in the middle of nowhere by themselves. You know, they live 30 minutes from town and they get what they need for the week and they, you don't see them again until they run out of stuff to come back in town for. Yeah, man. You know, I, I run into some, you know, we see some people like that in Iowa and with, with some of the places that we go and try and get into for, for rock climbing where, you know, we got mm-hmm. a pretty good idea just based off of like Google maps and stuff that there's going to be some walls back in a place. And we've had that happen before where we've gone and knocked on a farmer's door and they've just been straight up like, no, there's nothing back there. No, you can't cut through. I'm just like, whoa. Okay, yeah. Okay, bud. Thank you. <laughs> but then it's like, whoa, what are they hiding back there? Yeah, exactly. Still or a meth lab back there? I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, if it was Mississippi, it would probably be a moonshine still or something. Yeah, god damn. That'd be, those would be some of the last things you'd want to walk across out in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. Like, for sure, you're going to get shot and buried in a shallow grave on the <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Oh. Well, shit, man, I, I know you got to get rolling pretty soon here, but, um, dude, I had, we didn't even get a chance to talk about comic books or anything. I know. <laughs> well, next <laughs> time sure we have it again, to talk we'll... to you about image books. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got I could talk about that all another two or three hours, but <laughs> we'll have to do like a mini episode or something. Yeah. We'll just get on an image and we'll just talk about all the comic books and stuff. <laughs> yeah, okay, so we just saved like kind of the more serious podcast for the first one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> Uh, oh, oh yeah, maybe I can even get you on my other show too. Come on, you can talk with Jordan and me too. Oh yeah, anytime, cast, man. that'd be fun too. I'd, I'd love to do it. Just let me know when. Absolutely, man. Well, um, so uh, trying to think, is there anything else? But I don't know. You got anything else, or you want to just wrap it up? No, you just wrap it up, man. I'm good to go. Well, thank so, <laughs> you again so much for, for taking time out to, to come and talk about some of this stuff, man. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me, bud. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so uh, let's see. Yeah, if you want to email the show, uh, startcastpod uh, at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at the Tubby Ninja. Uh, I got a Facebook page. It's just Startcast. And uh, you can check out my other uh, podcast with uh, me and Jordan from the Supercast. We talk about comic books. That is uh, the Comic Cast. And uh, Ty, thank you again. It was awesome talking to you, dude. No and, problem. Um, man, they, you got me kind of stoked on guns again, though. <laughs> if you wind up about. with another one, tell your wife it's not my fault. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, until next time, thank you for listening. This has been StarkCast. 